Welcome to the American Warrior Festival podcast, a celebration of our troops, veterans, and American way of life. I'm your host, Dan Clore. Hello, American Warrior Festival family. This is episode six of the American Warrior Festival podcast, and today's theme is titled One Foot in Front of the Other. One Foot in Front of the Other, a phrase we have heard since boot camp. I remember the days of long humps up the hill. The packs got heavier, the skin on your feet starts to peel away, the sound of canteens swishing around. Boots slam to the ground and get heavier and clunkier with every mile. Your helmet digs into your skull, and your weapon seems to gain weight with every step. The gear buckling with sounds of straps, clamps, and fasteners struggling against the odds. Will they hold true? This is the soundtrack of the military hump. When a service member would dare think of throwing in the towel by jumping on the meat wagon, aka a vehicle that would be in tow, the drill instructor would bark out, just keep putting one foot in front of the other, nasties. That's all you need to do. It seemed like a simple concept, and when the sweat was burning in your eyes, the sun was beating down on you, and your body was given out, this was exactly the phrase that was needed to keep you going. And keep going, we did. Nothing felt better than the last step, the relief in the accomplishment of finishing your mission. One foot in front of the other is also a metaphor for life. Whether you are serving in the military or a civilian, we can all learn a lot from this phrase. When you feel beaten down and your world feels like it's falling apart, all you have to do is get up and take that first step. Achieve that first victory. Build momentum, confidence, and pride with every step. Don't let the moment get too big. Missions are accomplished by breaking objectives into smaller goals that then add up to the final achievement. Break it down into one small step in action. This is how winning is done. Our guest in today's episode is the epitome of taking life one step at a time. A man who knows as well as anyone what it means to put one foot in front of the other. Army veteran Van Booth embarked on his cross-country trek titled Walking for Life to raise money and awareness for veteran causes in 2019. Van walked over 3,100 miles and took 7.1 million steps to get from Southern California to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The trip took 10 months. What a phenomenal story and a great example of putting one foot in front of the other. The American Warrior Festival podcast brought to you by the Red Osier Landmark Restaurant, Western New York's premier dining experience, known for its amazing prime rib and dedication to the veteran community. Visit them online at theredosier.com. Please welcome our good friend, Army veteran Van Booth. Van walked across the country from San Juan Capistrano, California, all the way to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. To raise awareness for veteran causes. Hey, Van, how's it going, brother? Hey there. How you doing, Dan? How you doing? Oh, we're, we're doing great, man. And uh, real excited to have you on today and talk about your amazing journey. I mean, uh, I was able to follow you on Facebook and, and check your progress. And so this is just a real, real exciting uh, segment here for us today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've all been, we were all quite busy last year. Between my walking and then you guys traveling around the country, I was following you guys too. Oh yeah, yeah, we were just uh, road dogs all across the board here. Between the no kidding, I would. <laughs> yeah, 
I would see you guys in New York, and next thing you know, you're in Nashville. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I missed you guys. Oh, you know what? We're going to have to um... – I tell you what, we actually have some pretty good uh, seeds being planted in Nashville right now and Tennessee in general. Nice. We're, we're actually looking into um, doing some events at some of Nashville's uh, greatest firing ranges. Oh, there you so, go. Yeah, you got Barrett uh, it's just right, right down the road, I believe, in Murfreesboro. Uh, that nice. makes the uh, 50 cows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, we're going to need to tie it in with them as well. Yeah. So, uh, now, Van, let, let's tell a little. Let's tell the people a little bit about your uh, your background and your military career. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, I was born in uh, Melbourne, Florida, and uh, moved to Tennessee when I was a child, and uh, joined the uh, United States Army active duty as a as a grunt as an infantryman in 1995. Served somehow, served a full 20 years, and uh, retired in 2016. Um, served, you know, did did a tour in Kosovo back before 9/11. Did several several years over in Iraq. Uh, did some combat tours over there and stuff, and and uh, lost a lot of buddies along the way, and unfortunately, and but somehow made it, stuck it through, and made it to retirement in 2016, and uh, returned back home to Tennessee. Congratulations on on a full career there. I mean, yeah. you know, you've, the veterans such as yourself that did a full 20. I mean, that, that's quite an achievement. And I know, you know, when that day came, you must have felt really fulfilled with a, a good long career. And like you said, there's, we know in the military, there's the, the great times, there's the tough times, there's the camaraderie oh, yeah. between us all. It really is a whole Absolutely. range of emotions in it with a full military career like that and a lot of experiences. Absolutely. When I was, the last day I was in, I was over to Fort Lewis, Washington. And then I just, I just suddenly hit me. I was like, my whole adult life has been the military. It's it's pretty much all I've done since graduating high school, and now I gotta navigate this new whole world. Getting ready to turn forty years old and being a civilian for the first time in my adult life at age thirty nine, forty, and it was, it was uh, it's almost overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Now, how was that? You know, like the retirement, and then your first, you know, say your first couple mm. days or your first weeks. Uh, you know, tell the people what that was like for a 20 year man in the military and kind of like those first experiences. Of, OK, what do I do now? Yeah, it's it's this. Uh, well, at first, it's all, you know, you're pretty elated. You're pretty uh, you're pretty happy because, you know, you really have true freedom in the sense of, you know, you don't have the military telling you what to do every day. You don't have to shave every day. You know, immediately started growing my facial hair out and. I was looking forward to this cross-country road trip back to Tennessee, and I took two weeks, took my time, and it's like I could wake up whenever I wanted, and and everything was just 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 great, you know. And you get home, and you get settled in, and you go visit family, and you know. But then, uh, you know, after a while, then you start missing a lot of the uh, camaraderie, you know, because I've been away from home for twenty years, so nobody. I mean, and I was I wasn't here very long before I left for the army, so I didn't know I didn't know hardly anybody here, um, so just a few family and stuff like that, so. It didn't take long before I was like, and then on top of that, uh, three months after I retired, the VA rated me. It was pretty quick, and next thing I know, I was 100% and uh, and fully retired. And like, okay, now what? You know, what do I do now? I can't just sit around for the next 30, 40 years, you know. So I had to start figuring out what to do. So I I started doing hobbies. You know, I started getting involved with my local county government. The mayor called me and asked me to be on the veterans oversight committee in the county to make sure the VSO is doing his job and just different little things. And I started uh, getting back into concerts again and music again and 
Um, but there was still just, I don't know, something missing there. And I, you know, 2017, probably, probably my worst year. Um, I started spiraling down as, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I got a lot of the, uh, PTSD and all the stuff from combat and you know, you're so busy, you don't have time to stop and think. And it's kind of like the Vietnam veterans, you know, a lot of those guys put everything, I mean, they didn't think about this stuff and these days you're having a lot of Vietnam veterans retiring and a lot of old demons are coming back to those guys. And, uh, and a lot of my demons were coming back to me too, you know, thinking about, you know, I lost my best friend overseas and I lost about 15 good friends that I knew personally. Um, but losing my best friend probably hit me the hardest in 2012, but now I'm retired and I'm thinking about them a lot more, you know? So I started kind of, yeah, it was 2017 was a bad year. See, in, in Van, it's kind of one of those things where the silence is so loud after a while, right? Oh, when the, abs- oh yeah, deafening. Absolutely deafening. Because, like you said, those first couple months, maybe after you retire, it's kind of like the tour of spending time with family. Like you said, just letting yeah. your beard grow out. Uh, yeah. Waking up when you want to. All those things, and that rides yeah. for a while, right? And then you it kind rides of... rides for a while. The, uh, yeah, it gets old. You know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And then you start, you know, you get to a point where you're living in your head. And, um, yeah, I, I started, uh, I started spiraling down and, uh, I actually contemplated suicide and everything like that. Cause I figured, well, the best thing, like the best thing I ever did in my life was the military. And there's nothing I, you know, nothing I could think of that I can do to achieve that level, um, uh, ever again. So I, uh, yeah, I just, I started, you know, just thinking, well, Probably best if I wasn't here, and and uh, I uh, I got a really good friend of mine, Charlie Daniels, uh, my Southern Rock daddy, I guess I call him. But I tuned into the uh, Grand Ole Opry because he was on that night, and um, he donated his time slot to military veterans to go on stage and nice. do their songs that they did with Operation Song. That's what got me. That's what kind of got me involved with them. And that program helped save my life because after listening to that, I was invited to go to Nashville. I contacted those guys. They invited me to Nashville. And I got to write a song about my best friend just to kind of help give me some closure. And I wrote a song about my best friend. And then uh, and then I felt, I don't know, it brought me out of myself. And it was so powerful to me that I wanted to do something to give back. And that's kind of when I started thinking about doing this walk. So... So, Van, this is a cool thing, too, because a lot of your interests, I mean, besides the military, uh, you know, you, you seem to be very into music. Now, do you do you play as well or have you always played or, you know, are you a musician? Know, no, you know, I used to. I used to play the violin, fiddle. Well, we call it fiddle down here. I used to play fiddle, a little bit of guitar. Um, I did it in school a little bit. But once I got into the military, that kind of over time, it just kind of got put away. But I was always drawn to it. If anything, as a fan, um, I would. Uh, I got stationed in Texas, uh, my very first tour, and then that's like. I mean, I was not too far from Austin, Texas, and it's like live music, live music, live music. Like, oh, I mean, sure. I couldn't help but be immersed in music. It was everywhere, all the time. And after three years in Texas, then I go to Germany, and and just uh, they have some great, you know, they have some great music festivals in Europe, and. It just seemed like everywhere I go, it was it was there in my face somewhere. And uh, but yeah, after after I retired, I kind of was being I'm living kind of close to Nashville, 
it's kind of everywhere. Even even uh, it even reaches kind of out where I'm where I'm living out here in whiskey country. Yeah, see that that's what's great for for us. I mean, we feel very lucky to use you know music live music and concerts and events are our main vehicle to reach our veteran family and our military family. So absolutely, we're very closely linked in what our passions are here together. You know that's why yes. it's, it's also great to have you on too because you know there's so many great organizations out there from ones that you know take veterans on uh, you know. Nature trips and hunting trips, right. fishing. Uh, there's absolutely, uh, you know, scuba diving organizations. Just yes, so many different kinds of organizations out there, and and that's what I love mm-hmm. about it. Yes, and ours we get to do it with the live music vehicle. So yes, and there's something. I mean, there's. I always tell veterans when I talk to them, you know, there's something for everybody. If music's not your thing, then seek out what you. When I talk to these guys that are struggling, I say, think of something that you used to enjoy. And then go find that through an organization or try to find organizations that do, if it's rock climbing, if it's, you know, eight, you know, if it's horses or whatever it is they used to enjoy, if it's concerts. I mean, I went to so many concerts, like hundreds before, uh, before I went to Iraq, but then I noticed, I didn't think about it for years, but after I went to combat, I noticed I didn't go at all anymore. I used to go to at least 50 concerts a year. And then now it's zero, you know, after 2005, after my first tour, I just, I didn't want to be in crowds. I didn't want to be near people or anything. And it just became pretty reclusive, you know. So that was something I knew I used to enjoy, but I didn't I know if it was because I was getting older or what it was. But a lot of it was just I didn't, you know, it was just being around crowds. It, it, see, Van, that's, that's a great point because think about it, too. I think when veterans go through a lot of the experiences – that we go through here, it's it's one of those things where sometimes you can forget some of those things that you were all about when you were growing up and you were just learning about life. Right. A lot of those things kind of get pushed back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes right. those old friends and those old anchors are just the thing needed to get back to a healthy mindset right. and to want to live another day. Absolutely. Some of them are just below the surface. You know, you just got to figure out a way to bring them back up again, you know. De- Absolutely, that's a that's a that's a great point. So, why don't we uh, let's talk about this this great walk across the country? I mean, let's let's <laughs> oh, talk yeah. about how you kind of got the wild hair there to uh, to kind of grab that idea and run and you know run with it and actually do it. I mean, it's such an amazing feat to oh, walk across the country. And you know what's perfect too is you know what we decided to call this episode in honor of you, Van is. Oh. Um, just one foot in front of the other. And oh, yeah. We feel, yeah. I remember in the Marine Corps when, you know, you're on one of those big humps and you're, the skin's oh, starting yes. to fall off your feet and the pack gets heavier. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, oh, yes. And they just say, gents, it really is an easy concept. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And That's it. Just keep stepping it out, you know. One at a time, right? <laughs> it's, it's mental, mental. Keep going. Absolutely. Keep, Keep going. Yeah, Keep try going. to stay Keep off going. the meat wagon, right? You don't want to be ended That's up in the it. meat wagon. And That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so when you think about it, it's a great metaphor for anyone in life that maybe they, they have an obstacle and they're like, how the hell am I going to tackle this mountain or this objective? And it's, it just starts with that first step. So let's Absolutely. lead off into that and talk about your, your big walk. So, yeah, uh, and, uh, see, it would have been early 2018, about March. I uh, I got to thinking, you know, after I'd 
just come off this big high and I was starting to write these songs with all these other veterans and songwriters. And I was like, you know, back in, just before I retired from the army, I blurted it out one day to my soldiers. I was like, you know what I'd like to do one day? And I was getting ready to retire. And I, I didn't think I'd actually do it then. I was like, I'd like to walk across America. And they're like, why? I was like, well, think about it. I mean, I served my country for two decades of my life. I, you know, it'd be nice to kind of just get out and see my country, but at a slower pace. You know, just two miles an hour, walk from one end to the other. Back then, I was just saying it. I didn't think I'd actually do it. But the thought was there. And then after doing all the songwriting stuff and with Operation Song and Freedom Sings, I was like, what a way to give back to them. And also, for me, maybe a, like a therapeutic pilgrimage to kind of just go out there and take some time and, 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 and see who I could run into and just kind of play it by ear. But I announced it right out of the blue. One day I just threw it out. I, I didn't tell nobody. I just announced it. And to the, my mom and everybody, my family and everybody's like, what? And just announced it out of the blue. And I said, I'm leaving in three months. And, uh, but once I started researching it, I wanted to be successful at it. I didn't just want to just like jump out there and start walking. I wanted to make sure, well, if I'm going to do this, it's a monumental. I want to make it good. I want to plan it. I want to make sure I'm successful. So once I realized how big of an undertaking it was, I decided to put it off until February of 2019. And in the meantime, what I did was I planned, I uh, started assembling gear, tried to research. It took me longer to plan the walk than to actually walk the walk, uh, oddly enough. And I assembled gear. I, I knew I couldn't carry a, a rucksack anymore. I did for 20 years in the Army as a grunt, and my back and knees were just tore up. So I was like, well, how am I going to do this with all my dis you know, my, my disabilities and, and, and still be able to do it? And I was like, well, I just need to do it. And uh, what I, so I got a cart to push all my gear in for camping, food, everything I needed and, and uh, decided, you know, I'm going to self, I'm going to self fund it. I'm going to go that way. I'm kind of, I'm really free. I can just go out there and walk. I'm not, I don't have to answer to people or sponsors or I could just go do it and take my sweet time and just do it my own way. And that's kind of how I went about it. Then I started talking to folks who actually walked across America and the advice they gave me was profound. I, I some of the advice they gave me, I would have never, I would have never thought of. Like alternate sides of the road you walk on, because if you walk on one side of the road for so long, you'll break bones in your feet because the road slants just so much. So you put more pressure on one foot than the other. You know, little things like that. What type of socks, powder, all that good stuff. Uh, one thing I learned is, is definitely, you know, the biggest thing is keep your feet dry. But uh, all those folks, all those folks, really, really were a great wealth of knowledge. And then I, then I finally set a date, and I said, all right, February 23rd, 2019. The reason I picked February, it's all by weather. Everything, you know how it is. You served in the Marines. If you're outside walking enough, you know weather impacts everything. You know, oh, <laughs> so I was like, yeah. you know, I don't want to walk through the desert in the heat of the summer, and I don't want to walk through South Carolina in the, you know, heat of the summer. So I had to plan um, literally all the way across the country by what the weather's doing at certain parts of the country. So it's... I, I did route planning. I spent hours looking at satellite photos trying to pick my route because I walked mainly on roads, road surfaces, the sides of the shoulders of the road because I had this big clunky cart that I had to push up and down these mountains and, you know, the Rockies and the Sierra Nevadas. And so I had to pick my roads very carefully because of the traffic. And I was trying to stay very rural and uh, trying to find roads with road shoulders and boy, it was a challenge. And then once you get on the ground, things change a little bit. So I had to alter my route. A little bit here and there, but yeah, ended up uh, I kicked it off, and we had a big launch party in San Juan Capistrano, California, and then off I went. Um, 
Next thing I know, I was in Palmdale, Lancaster, and then I made my way to uh, uh, Lake Tahoe, uh, California, which is kind of a big jumping off place. And uh, and I I hit uh, U.S. Route 50, pretty much took Route 50, loneliest road in America through Nevada, all the way through Utah, Colorado, through straight through Kansas, through uh, Missouri, all the way to uh, Illinois, and then uh, made my way to Evansville, Indiana. Then I broke south, went through Kentucky, Tennessee, all the way down to Alabama. Then I turned and headed uh, back east again, went through Georgia and on to South Carolina. Ended up finishing uh, New Year's Eve last year, 2019. <laughs> what a perfect day to finish on, right? It, right. How How'd you like Actually, Myrtle Beach? Have you ever been there before? Before, before I, I had you been, walked I, it? Yes, I had been there many times. Matter of fact, when I first planned my walk, I planned to start it in San Francisco and end it in Charleston. And uh, but things changed throughout my planning and this and that. So next, my starting city changed and my ending city changed. Um, but I'd been to Myrtle Beach many times. I ended up. I did I realized I didn't know anybody in Charleston. It's a bigger city. But uh, I knew I had some military buddies that I served with in Korea and overseas and uh, in Germany and Iraq and stuff that live in Myrtle Beach. So I figured, well, at least I got some folks there who could maybe help do a finish or, you know, at least I can get there and maybe run into one person I know when I finish. I had no idea what the finish would be like. I didn't really kind of plan anything. I just, just did it. I just it's, took it's off It's walking. a great town. I, I like Myrtle Beach. I mean, it I is. Saw Myrtle the, Beach is great. Yeah. It, it's a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. I mean, be, coming from, you know, being born and raised in, uh, in western New York, or you know, ah. a lot of New Yorkers would go down to Daytona and stuff for spring break, and my, oh, my yeah. family liked Myrtle Beach, and so you know, <laughs> I, I have great memories as a kid and all the fun oh, things yeah. we did there. So when I saw that you chose that, I was like, man, I miss Myrtle Beach. I have to oh, to get gosh, back down yeah. there. Amazing! It was, and then to spend New Year's there because you know after all the festivities ended for the day and all the media interviews and everything kind of quieted down. You know, I just got to spend time with my uh, my girlfriend, and we just went out to the beach and. There was some uh, a Vietnam veteran and some veteran buddies of mine that, that that came out from Tennessee, and we just walked to the beach and walked, brought brought in the New Year's quietly on the ocean. It was just amazing. What yeah. a great yeah! What a great a, way to, yeah. to finish it off. It just sounds so awesome. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, I bet you a lot of people don't realize how much planning goes into it. I mean, they, a lot of people oh, probably gosh, look at planning. it as just the walk itself, which is is impressive mm-hmm. in its own right. But I could just imagine you sitting down and going through all of those factors and all the different variables to try Gosh. to give yourself the best chance for success. And Oh, absolutely. The planning. I, I mean, the great planning and oh, then yeah. adapting, too. Oh, yeah. And and things changed all along the way. You know, I had a, you know, I had somebody that said they wanted to walk with me. And I was like, okay, I'll partner up with somebody. And then he backed out. And, uh, and then I talked to a buddy of mine who was also in the – he was in the Army uh, many years ago. He did uh, a walk across the country, and he said, "Yeah, my 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 buddy walking with me. He he quit after we didn't even make it out of the state before he quit, and so that changes everything." So I was like, "You know what? I think maybe because I don't want this to get out of my hands and out of control. I, I you know, right. I've had, and you have to want you've got a lot of people that'll try to scam you too. So you got to be careful of who kind of attaches to you. You got a lot of people that are kind of you know use you what you're doing for their bent. You know, just you know, and and you know, there's for a while there, it was, you know, people, you know, a lot of people are coming on board, but it seemed like it was turning into a brand and a business, which is fine for people that want to do that. But that's not what I wanted to achieve. I didn't want any kind of fame or fortune or anything from it. They're like, well, what do you want out of it when you're done? I was like, nothing. I'm happy to just go back home and go back to living my life. This is more of a therapeutic kind of pilgrimage thing. And hopefully 
I can raise some money for these uh, these uh, nonprofit veteran organizations along the way. And yeah, I was able to, I think, just over $10,000, you know, along the way, um, I was able to raise for these folks That's and awesome. then continue and then continue that even after the walk ended, you know, with through, you know, minor speaking engagements and stuff like that. But pretty much 100 percent of what I whatever I got, I donated to those folks because going through the program myself, I know just how much it helps people. And I've witnessed it over and over and over how many veterans it's helped. And uh, it is life saving and life changing. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to. Yeah. I'm just going to give whatever I get to them. And and think about that, Van. Whenever a veteran is able to get themselves to a emotionally and spiritually healthy place, they then can reach their hand out and grab another veteran and try to bring them in with them to help them. You know, like every veteran that can heal himself or herself, you're able to then grab on and and help help our family. And that's what it's all about. Absolutely, Because we all have to be healthy ourselves, you know. Absolutely. And a lot of veterans, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for a sense of purpose again. Um, that's, that's kind of, and I felt like I had this purpose now and, and I was like, you know, I want to do anything and everything I can to help these organizations out here. And, uh, and, and, and also at the same time, bring attention to the veteran suicide rate by any means necessary. Um, and I was able to talk to a lot of people about that. And I was surprised how many people hadn't even heard about you know how, how how much of an epidemic it is, um, but any any way I could get my message out, I would do it. And I was able to run into a lot of veterans who were having issues. A lot of Vietnam veterans, I was surprised. But these folks would find out I was in town. And they would come out. They would. I mean, they would come out of the mountains and the hills to come talk with me. And I would sit. I've never done this before, but I've sat and cried with full grown men. You know, and I just I just shut my mouth and let these guys vent and let them talk. You know, I ran into a veteran, and uh, his name was Riley. He was a Vietnam veteran. He was from, uh, he looked like Santa Claus. He had the longest beard I've ever seen, just white <laughs> as snow. And and he's from Hawaii, so he had this thick Hawaiian accent. <laughs> really? And I was like, That's interesting. Was like, hey, bro, hey, bro. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing in Colorado? He goes, well, I, I was born and raised in Hawaii. But he said, you know, I, I went to Vietnam and came back. But he said, bro, he goes, a lot of veterans that came back from v- from Vietnam a lot of them that were feeling lost ended up moving to Hawaii so they could search out the jungle and disappear into it again. He said a lot of veteran, a lot of Vietnam veterans died in Hawaii because they just went out there to the jungles in Hawaii and drank themselves to death. They just went out there and kind of were reliving, but they just disappeared from society and, and moved out to the jungles in Hawaii. And I was like, wow, I've never even heard that before. He said, I had to get out of there or else I would have been one of those statistics. So he said he literally sold everything and moved to Colorado. Just to get into the mountains and get away from jungles and how interesting is that? Do it, yeah. yeah. That's like it, it, familiar it, surroundings. Yeah. Let me back in that that place, that dark place, and yeah, that's right. definitely something that couldn't have been healthy for those guys, right? And you know, and they didn't have the help you know that's out there now. Sure. And so he just did it his own way. But he said there's a lot of them that didn't make it. You know, they moved out to Hawaii and they just it was drugs and alcohol. You know, and just. I ran into a woman. I mean, I ran into so many people on this walk. I, there, you know, I, a lot of these stories I never shared on, you know, I had, I had a Facebook page. I still have it open, but it's uh, walking for life. You know, a couple thousand people following it and stuff, but there's uh, some stories I would share and some, they were just so personal. I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this down in my journal and then maybe I'll do a book, you know, here in the future or something. And, but I got so many private messages from people. I had got one from a from a from a lady who uh, she said, you know, thank you for what you're doing. You know, my uh, 
my father is a Vietnam veteran, committed suicide in 1978 when I was a child, you know. And and this is some, I mean, she's still thinking about this all this time later. And then I just kept running, and it was just bizarre how I would just run into people in these little tiny towns. I would go into, you know, a little town with the with the intention of just eating and keep on going. And I stopped in this town called Crawford, Colorado, and uh, went into the Mad Dog Cafe, and I can't remember the name of the artist, the famous artist who's, who lived there, uh, singer. Uh, but anyway, he's buried there in town and everything, but I stopped at this uh, cafe, and the bartender saw my cart, and I had a little sign on it, and she said, hey, hang on, I got somebody who, who would love to talk to you. He, he needs, you know, he just, he would love to meet you. And this man shows up, and I could just see it in his face, just... You 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 just know it when you see it. Just I could just see the pain in this man's face, and we grabbed some beer and went out to the grass. And I, next thing I know, I'm, I spent three days in this town because veterans kept coming down off the mountains to hang out and talk. And so wow. this uh, this man named Robert came down. He said, "Yeah, because my brother, he he wasn't a veteran himself, but his brother died in Vietnam, and then his son um, died after coming back from Afghanistan. They don't know, you know." He, they found him. They found him in the ravine. You know, they don't know if it was suicide or if it was an accident or, but and you know, and then you know, he then he lost, and then right after that, he loses his wife. So, um, so literally, I mean, most of his family pretty much gone, and so he didn't really have, you know, I think he has a a daughter, but yeah, he I mean, he lost like three people in a short amount of time, you know, between his brother in Vietnam and then his wife and then his son, you know. So this guy was dealing with a lot of pain. And uh, we sat and talked about that for for many hours, and uh, that was that was something I'll never forget. You know, just uh, the look on his face, and then him finally able to kind of just talk about it. But I, there was stories like this all across the country of people who just I was like, wow. Think about how many something. people you influenced on your on your spiritual journey for your you know that you yeah, did to and help yourself, and then you helped all these other people. Just by sitting right. down had, and, and listening and talking with them and influence the influence yeah, that you I had. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that this would even happen. You know, I've had people. I mean, just pull over and talk to me, and I've had people pull over, jump out, and give me a hug, and say, "Oh, you know, my daughter's in the Marines," and and you know, just literally bawling, crying. You know, and uh, people stop and pray with me on the side of the road, and and uh, people stop give me money and you know and I was like no and I would always turn it away and they say no I'm this is I'm, no this is I'm I say all right you know they want they want to help you know and yeah they, they want to help yeah. people I met way much more good people out there than bad it gave me a kind of a it gave me a I guess for myself it, it, you know it's like wow there's 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 a lot of good people out here you know it's not all bad it's not all negative you know there are good people all the way across the country and I saw it in California I saw it in every state I walked through Literally every single state. I mean, it was it was amazing. We need, I mean, we I got stories that. that can go on forever. You know, we, yeah, absolutely. We, we need more of the positive of that. And basically, you were experiencing some of the the best parts of humanity right there. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's out there. I was I was blown away by it. I didn't know what to expect. You know, a semi driver stop, a police officer stop, and you know, hey, give me their personal cell. I had one state trooper in uh, Nevada. He let me stay in his cabin. You know, for you know, and it was <clears throat> it was a blizzard coming in, and oh man! I mean, he saved he saved me hundreds of dollars in motel fees, you know, because you know he was like, hey, I, I'm from California, but I'm a state trooper here in Nevada, but you know, it's a, Austin, Nevada is like in the middle of nowhere, like you know, middle little. I literally walked a thousand miles through the desert, 
And so I'd have to do like 80 miles between towns. You know, one stretch was 135 miles where I didn't see anything, not even a gas station. I saw nothing, just desert. <laughs> so how, know, yeah, just how are me- those stretches, yeah. Van? How are the stretches where, because we're mm. talking a lot about, um, you know, the human contact and, and being able yes. to talk with uh, your fellow man here. Now, what about the those long stretches, a lonely road? How How were those experiences? Those were peaceful. I mean, I would wake up. In the morning, I, I, you know, it was all camping because there was no motels or anything. I would literally pull off the road, camp in the desert, and I'd wake up and I'd have uh, uh, pronghorn antelope all around me, you know, or uh, wild oh, Mustang awesome. horses. And it and the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets and, and everything from snakes to scorpions to whatever. And then hail, snow, ice, you name it. <laughs> I experienced it. But there was those moments of like that would just stun you. Um Colorado, you know, going through the Rockies, so, you know, I went up to 11,000 feet, um, it was my highest elevation of my walk, but coming down through the Rockies, you know, I'd come around the corner, you just don't, I, you know, it kept me motivated every single morning I'd wake up excited because I didn't know what I was going to see that day. Every single morning I woke up super excited about walking, I'd, I'd, I'd cook up my breakfast and my propane and all that stuff, and then I'd pack up and I'd hit the road. And because uh, I was like, what am I going to see today? You know, some some sometimes I'd go 27 miles in a day. Some days I'd go 10 miles. It just depend on where the next town was or what happened that day. Sometimes I talked to people for several hours and it would eat up a lot of walking time. And but I was like, whatever, it just it is, you know. And after a while, I just got lost in it. You know, people were my buddies. kept, Hey, when are you going to be in my town? When are you going to be in my town? And I was stressing, trying to come up with dates. And I was like, eh. Eventually, I said, hey, I'll get there when I get there. And finally, that was my answer for everything. I'll get there when I get there. When are you going to be in Huntsville, Alabama? I'll get there when I get there. And it just kind of became that. And the further I went, the better I was able to kind of judge it. Like, I'll be there in, like, you know, October, you know. But uh, You're yeah, able to eyeball it a little bit more, right? Yeah. Kind of forecast a little bit stronger as you went along. And- Absolutely. You just get so used to it. But then the wildlife is, I mean, that alone, I mean, the bighorn sheep, I – I came around a corner in Colorado and it looked like the mountain was moving and it was so stunned at what I saw. I sat down on the guardrail and literally for almost an hour and just watched bighorn sheep. They were teaching the, the, the babies, the, the young, how to jump the cliffs. And uh, so there's a whole bunch of baby ones, ducks in a row, jumping the cliffs. I mean, it's like, how do they not fall off? But I sat there and watched them and RVs and people just blowing by me and don't even realize what was happening right across the river, right up on the mountain. It's just covered in bighorn sheep, you know, just out doing her thing. It was amazing. <laughs> so so you were always spending time with something, either a fellow human being, uh, yes. and wildlife, or the elements, right? You know, it was great because there were stretches where, you know, I get into a town and, it, and some towns didn't even know I was coming through and I would just quietly go through town. It just depend on how I felt. But if it was a bigger town, my girlfriend would call, you know, she would get a hold of towns ahead of me and she would at least contact the, the media and, and things like that. And uh, but you just never know what's going to happen when you come into a town. I came into one town and uh, the folks there was a uh, Veterans Home Alliance. I guess these 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 folks in uh, Colorado, it's kind of like the vet center, but it's it's run. It's like privately run. It's for veterans in that area. Uh, Welcome Home Alliance for Veterans. Well, anyway, they just happened to have the Vietnam Traveling Wall was in town, and then they had this World War II Avenger fighter plane or uh, uh, dive bomber. Well, they gave me a ticket, and they put me up in a dive bomber and flew me around in this World War II plane that was built in, like, oh, the 1940s. Cool 
Yeah. So I'm like flying over the Black Canyon of Colorado, seeing where my walk is going to, you know, happen. And I was like, wow. You know, one town I rode a steam train and, you know, just different. I just didn't know what I was going to run into. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was all part of the adventure, I guess. Every day was something new, right? You, you're Every always like, day. what's, what's heading my way today? Yeah. Yeah. That's... And it was exciting. It was very exciting to, to, to wake up with that feeling, you know, and then I would, uh, see, I didn't listen to music at all on my walk as much as I wanted to. Oh, really? Um, okay. That's, yeah, that's a big I thing. I never, I know as in my walk is so music related. I didn't listen to music because I had to be so hyper vigilant. You know, it was exhausting because my head constantly, because, you know, I have thousands of cars that were passing me on the roadside all day. You know, so you just and had so to watch inches, out for that alone right there. Constantly watching for cars so I wouldn't get run over. Um, you know, and they blow by you going 70, 80 miles an hour, you know, especially out west. And, you know, and some, and my danger was from behind because, you know, I'd be, even if I was on the left side of the road walking toward traffic, well, there's people that pass and they come up behind you pretty quickly and you don't hear them. So you turn around and boom, you know, you got your inches away from a vehicle passing another vehicle. And so I was constantly being hyper vigilant. And I was, I was like, the name of my walk is walking for life. And it wouldn't look good if I got killed out here. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's it a great wild. point. Kind of, kind of ruins the whole yeah. tag there, right? Yeah, the whole philosophy. I was like, yeah. I was like, well, that'd be embarrassing, you know? Oh man. <laughs> but, yeah. That's, that's a great point too. Like just having to pay attention to your surroundings and keep yourself safe on on those roads with vehicles flying by. Absolutely. You know, at night I would reward myself. I would, whenever I came off the road, I would just whew, take my breath and I can, I can relax. And I would write down. I had a I had a notebook, and every day I wrote something in this notebook. How many miles I, you know, what the temperature was sometimes. Uh, who I ran into that day if I did. If sometimes it was nobody. And then, like, uh, how many miles I walked that day. And I, and I just tracked it every day. And that was kind of my reward was to pull out that book and kind of write in there, you know, what day I'm on and, you know, and things like that. And then, uh, you know, and then little benchmarks I'd hit along the way, like my first 1,000-mile mark, 2,000 miles, 3,000 miles, my halfway point, things like that that I, I took it in segments, you know. And adding the string onto the guitar. Um, I know we hadn't talked about the guitar yet, but, yeah, I carried this acoustic guitar with me across the country. And um, and I got it out in California through uh, Michael Leahy, who uh, grabbed it. And I think you were the first person to sign it. Yeah, I believe and, uh, I believe I was, Van. I, I you know received this guitar here through Michael, a mutual friend, yes. another veteran. Mm-hmm. And he told me about Absolutely. what you were doing. I said, "Oh, you know, what an honor, yeah. of course." So I I know I threw wow. um, American Warrior sticker on there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, I yeah. threw Weapon X sticker on there. And that went all the way across the nation. <laughs> yep, I remember signing it, and it was yeah, it was oh, it was yeah. a blank canvas when I got it. And by the time uh-huh. I saw it, man, you, it was you looked like a NASCAR. Wow. Didn't it? it had yeah, that thing is covered in stickers and signatures, and I mean any and everybody kind of people I just ran into along the way, everybody from four year old girls to you know major <laughs> celebrities. It didn't matter. It was just whoever kind of deal, and it's it, yeah, it's completely covered. You know, and I took all the strings off, and I don't know if Michael told you about that at the time, but I, uh, it was meant to be symbolic, and so it was just uh, something I can have to kind of as a something physical that I can show people and and get it through to them what I was doing, and so I took all six strings off and made it a uh, playlist guitar symbolizing the veterans who aren't here anymore to play their music for us, meaning their life. And so then every 500 miles I walked, I would put one string on. So it was symbolizing healing as it went. 
So every 500 miles, I walked, cool. I put a string on. And I uh, started with the high E string and went, and then every 500 miles, I'd put a string on. When I got to, you know, my 3,000 miles, I was like, well, I still got another 135 miles to go, so I'm good. So when I got to Myrtle Beach, we put that last string on and uh, symbolizing that it was healed and now it's playable again and, and all How that. How amazing so, is that? That's really yeah. cool, man. It's the first time I'm hearing this story. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever carried a, an acoustic guitar coast to coast, but no matter what, if I didn't have anything, like there were some legs of the walk where I didn't have my cart. Like when I was close to home, I was like, well, let me backpack it for a while and just kind of see how my back feels. And I'll do it for a few days. I'm like, okay, I need the cart back. But that guitar went with me everywhere. That thing never, it went with me every single inch. Anywhere I walked, that guitar went with me. So if I was backpacking, I'd fling that guitar across the front of me, and it went with me. It always went with me. So that was the one piece. I said, I, you know, over food and water, this guitar goes. And so no matter what, and then when I had my cart, it just kind of sat it in the front, and uh, it was literally the very front of the cart was the guitar in the basket. And so that thing went everywhere. And uh, Now, Van, yeah. you said that it even made an appearance at the uh, Grand Ole Opry? It sure did, yeah. I have a have a really good friend of mine, Mark Wills. He's a uh, he's a member of the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, he he followed my walk just like you did, kind of the whole way through. Like he really – and he sent me a message when I was getting close. I think back in November he says, hey – and he had just became a member. And, and uh, he said, hey, uh, when you get back, I want you to be my guest you know, on stage at the Opry. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow. And it was his one-year anniversary being a member. I said, you know, that's your day. You don't have to do all that. He goes, no, no. So I brought the guitar, and uh, he was one of the last people to sign it. <laughs> but it went on stage that night at the Opry. And uh, it was a packed uh, it was a packed crowd that night. And uh, that was January 11th. So it was literally not, you know, just over a week after I finished the walk. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, that was something, yeah. What, yeah, now now where's the guitar now? You still uh So still have I it have it. Or, yeah. I still yep, I still have it. Um I've been trying to think of things to do. I, I thought about uh you know, and people give you all kinds of advice on what to do, uh but I you know, I was thinking about you know, once COVID kind of put a lot of things on the back burner, but I was planning on uh, using it as a display piece for the folks at Freedom Sings USA cuz they have kind of like a they have this big room where they write their songs, but they have all these kind of mementos on the walls. And I figured, you know, with all the new veterans coming through there, just to kind of put it in there for them and just let it sit there so it could kind of be a, like a, a motivational piece or something saying, you know, so like the other veterans can tell the story of what that guitar did and where it went and this and that. Maybe it'll help some veterans there. So I thought about kind of donating it to them or putting it on loan with them now, out there. Um, I've thought about many different things to do with it, but, uh, maybe right now it's just sitting it idle. Move, move around a little bit, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe it's like the Stanley cup and spend some time, right. with all the, you know, it goes yeah, over yeah, here. Absolutely. And... <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, I always said that, uh, you know, if I, uh, if I end up doing a book about this, uh, about this adventure, this walk, what I would love to do is actually go and drive my route. I've met so many people along the way, you know, and these are lifelong friends as people that I met. But I'd love to take the guitar and go and uh, take copies of the book and just stop at these places that I visited and people that helped me out, people that let me stay for free at their houses or their hotels or their B and Bs or whatever, and give them a copy of the book, you know, and 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 show them the guitar and you know. And I, I think that sounds amazing. I think that would be a great tour. 
I think it would be an awesome way to get the information out to everyone about the details of it. Uh, yeah, to really, to, yeah, to take your experience it and put it in print and be able to get it online where people can take oh, the whole yeah. journey with you, page by page, chapter by chapter. Absolutely, absolutely. And everybody's telling me, yeah, you need to do this, you need, you need to, you need to do that, and and that'd just be another way to, you know, keep that kind of, you know, you never know. It's kind of like you do, you know, you never know who's listening, you never know who's reading, you never know who you're going to impact. And I would say, if it, right. you know, if this walk helped one person, then I've done, I've done what I set out to do. I helped myself, but I'd love to help somebody else along the way too. And best, I'll the never best know. Of both worlds, right? The best of Absolutely. both worlds there. Best of both worlds, and I'll never know how many people I touched. I just will never know how many people because you know all the TV and, and media and all that, and it's far-reaching. So you never know who's listening or who's watching. You know, you just never know. That's that's true. Now, what about uh, how many beautiful sunsets and sunrises? I mean, how were how some of those experiences? And, and did you, you know, shut it down when it started getting dark? And you, did you stop? Well, I figured you probably didn't walk too much at night, or maybe you did. I don't No, See, that was that was one of my big rules for myself was no night walking. Right, because um, the danger as well, right? The danger and one, I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to miss. You see so much more walking than you do at 70, 80 miles an hour. You just see so much. And you just never, I mean, just walk up on things and you're like, wow. But uh, usually my, um, as the summer months came, the days got longer. So I was able to do more miles just because I had more daylight. And so, you know, when I first started, I was doing like, and it was, I wasn't as in shape. So I was doing like 10 miles, 12 miles. And that was usually about what I was doing, 14 miles. And I was like, you know, I don't want to break myself off. I don't want to, my goal is to finish it, not hurt myself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it, eventually, I was up to twenty miles a day, and the next thing I know, you know, I could I could easily do like if I did sixteen or seventeen miles to me, that was a short day. And I was like, oh, I need to do at least twenty. I can get at least twenty, and I would do twenty between twenty, and the highest and most I've ever done today is twenty seven. I was able to do that a few times, but I'd do about twenty five or twenty four, you know, twenty two miles, and it just every day was different. Um, uh, but uh, it was out west. The western states was because it's just more secluded and the weather and everything. It was just, I mean, I was even in an earthquake in Kansas, like totally unexpected. In Kansas? That's, that's <laughs> yeah, got, you'd expect got, a, well, you know, a tornado, no. right? Not an earthquake. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I got and I got chased by some pretty violent storms, especially once I got to the Great Plains. I was literally, I got some funny, I mean, really hilarious stories about skunks I ran into and and these storms chasing me and trying to run to cover. And there's nowhere out, you know, in the Midwest, there's just nowhere to go unless you're in a town. But, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> all kinds of, all kinds of wild crazy stuff. Mother, but, you know, nature's, yeah, Mother nature's going to throw you know. some new challenges, right? Yeah. You know, I didn't even know it was an earthquake. I was, I was, uh, sleeping. I found an, uh, an old salt shed that was unlocked and I kind of just snuck in because it was supposed to rain that night. And uh, it was unlocked, and I went in there, and I kind of snuck in there and kind of shut the door and slept under there with my cart. And I was like, well, Saturday night, Sunday, no one's, it was a construction site. And I was like, well, nobody's going to be here Sunday. I'll just sleep in this thing, you know, and get some overhead cover. And uh, it was empty, and I was like, I'll just leave. No one even knew I was here. I did a lot of stealth camping, I called it. Just a lot of stealth camping. I'd sleep in the woods or whatever. My, You know, I kind of didn't want people to know where I was sleeping so I could actually sleep in peace and not worry about getting robbed or anything like that, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's best to avoid the trouble. You know, I, you know, carried a gun and everything I needed, but, you know, it's just best to avoid it anyway. 
But no, I, I got shook and awake at four. I think it was just after four in the morning. And it was pitch black dark. So I was like, oh. And I thought I was having a nightmare or dream or something. And I just kind of went back to sleep. And it was, I was like, wow, that was really, uh, that was really realistic. And I laid there a little bit and I fell back asleep. And then when I got into the next town, it was all over the front page of the paper. That was an earthquake. And I looked at the time and sure enough, it was like 4.10 in the morning. And I was like, well, I'll be. <laughs> I was in an earthquake. Didn't so even ridiculous. know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Near Hutchinson, Kansas. I was like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep. I mean, all those experiences. Now, there's how many, so many. how many pairs of shoes did you go through? So I went through, let's see, about six or seven pair. I want to say, let's see, the first pair I went, I made last a very long time. You can usually, I had, I wore uh, those Morel Moabs. And uh, the first pair I went about 500, over 500 miles with them. And they were just worn out, raw. I mean, just, I was like, whew, okay, it's time to get new shoes. And uh, finally, I think I grabbed a pair in Colorado and, uh, or Utah or somewhere. But I was like, yeah, it's time to it's time to change the tires, <laughs> you know, because my feet were starting to hurt, and I was like, okay, this is time to get a new pair, and uh, yeah, I had so I had some sent to me and got them at a post office, and then uh, I think yeah, I went through I want to say yeah six pair. I kept every pair of them. I still got them all. <laughs> That'd be a great Even uh, though, a great museum piece, man. Uh, no kidding, man. There's some just wore out. Yeah, and I, I you know I was like. Somebody, you know, people, people always give you advice. Well, why don't you try this brand and that brand? I was like, you know, this one's working out. I'm just going to stick with it. You know, I'm just going to. Yeah, if it's not broke, why I, fix it, right? Yeah. So it's not wrong with these. Uh, all right, ladies and gents, we're back here. We just had a few little uh, technical difficulties. So Van's going to pick it right up where we left off. Yeah. So, yeah, six pair of shoes. That's what I, uh, that's what I went through on the walk. And, uh, and then the socks, you know, they were about $15 a pair. And uh, I uh, slowly over my planning period, I, I just bought like a pair or two a month until I had about 10, 10 pair. And uh, and those lasted me the entire walk. I just kept rotating them out. And then some towns I would stay two or three days, mainly I'd call them zero days or zero walk days where I didn't walk. And I kind of rest and on my rest days, I do my laundry and and mail stuff home. People give you things. And next thing you know, you're, my cart's 80 to 100 pounds. And so I'd mail stuff home get some stuff in the mail and, and, uh, and, and do my refit stuff, do my, you know, laundry and stuff like that. So no, Van, what was in the cart on an average day? So I had, had it packed with uh, dehydrated, uh, food, um, which was lightweight. Um, I bought like a, I think an $80 bucket of just a whole bunch of meals. I had a few MREs, but not many. Um, I had enough of those things. Yeah, I kept I was gonna, the jar I was peanut. Say. <laughs> <laughs> MRE, I was like 20, 20 years of MREs. I've had enough of them. Right. So I think I had like three MREs and I went through those before I even got out of Nevada. <laughs> Nevada. So, but, uh, I had, I had a jar of peanut butter. Um, everybody who's done a walk said always carry a jar of peanut butter because it keeps. And if you completely run out of food, at least you have peanut butter to, 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 to get you by to the next town. And so, uh, I didn't have to break into it that much. I kept a five-gallon water bladder on the back of my cart that had a spigot that came off the back. And so all I had to do was um, stick a water bottle under the spigot and just fill fill it up. And uh, I definitely, on that 135-mile stretch, I, that's like I had to ration water. It was That really stretched my limit because I, I had five gallons and I had to make it last 135 miles. And uh, thankfully, it wasn't hot out in the desert at that point it was like march and april but uh yeah i've had a i've had a couple close calls 
with uh, water. Just like you said, running low and, and just running that. low. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, like I did have one day. It was March. I'll never forget it because it was like March 27th, I believe. But it was unexpectedly hot that day. It was like cold, cold, cold. And then it was like 88 degrees and then it was cold again. It was like one day. But I was climbing these mountains. So I did like, I think, 16 mountains I climbed up. And they were 10 miles up, 10 miles down in the 20-mile valley. If you've ever walked through Nevada, it's just mountain range after mountain range. I didn't know this, but Nevada has more mountain ranges than any other state in the lower 48. And so even more than Colorado. That's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. More mountain ranges than any other state. And so I climbed up and over 16 of them just to get across the state. There's no way around them. You have to go up and over them. When you get up to the top, you know, they're you know, several thousand feet higher and it's snowing and it's just blizzard. Then you get back down, it's warm again, then back up into blizzard again, then back down into warm. And so I did that 16 times and 400 and something miles. It was, it was crazy. Imagine those mountains during the uh, pioneer days. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure you probably think about about that, right? Yeah. I was like, wow. I said, you know, those guys had it so much harder because not only that, they had to fight off, you know, the Native Americans, they had to, you know, they had to fight cholera. They didn't have bridges to walk across like I did. They had to go through the the rivers and, and the streams and everything. And I was like, wow, what a rough, like you really had to be strong back then to deal with all that. That was yeah, some, paving through that's some all rough that, living. It, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and they, and they, and they did it on foot. Yeah. Right. You know, I walked the Pony Express, you know, I love history. So I walked, you know, a large portion of the Pony Express trail. I got to see a lot of the Pony Express station ruins and, you know, the California Trail and the Immigrant Trail and, uh, you know, the Santa Fe Trail and the Oregon Trail. I got to walk a lot of those. And, you know, in Kansas, I got to walk in the actual wagon ruts. They're still there in some spots in Kansas from the Santa Fe Trail and the Oregon Trail. That is so cool. And that is like, that's something I would have never seen in a car because if you're not paying attention, you drive right by it and not know. Sure. But it's literally right on the road. It's like, because these highways they built across America, a lot of them followed the old trails, you know, that, that went out west. And so it's like, wow, wow. I just kept running to this historical, you know, I got to camp on uh, civil war battlefields. I camped on, uh, goodness gracious, just, you know, uh, revolutionary war battlefields out in South Carolina, you know, just, uh, unreal. So, unreal. So man, you would, so you would camp out some nights, some nights you would, mm-hmm. uh, stay in a hotel, right. And some nights right. maybe you'd visit and stay with, uh, you know, someone that was having you as a guest, right. That's usually Absolutely. how you spent yep. your evenings. Okay. Yes, sir. Absolutely. It was all a mix. It was all a mix in 310 days. Um, about, I would say it'd be, it was about half and half between camping and motels. Once I got more east, the towns were much closer together. And I knew, you know, kind of out east, most towns, like you're usually never 20 miles from the nearest town. And the reason is, is because back before there were cars, horses could go 20 miles in a day. So if you look at Dallas and Fort Worth, they're just about exactly 20 miles apart. Because you could get there in a day on a horse without the horse breaking out on you. So, uh, and so once I got like to Missouri, pretty much most of my towns weren't more than twenty miles away. Some were closer, some were a little bit further, but most of them were within a day's walk. And so between towns, that's where you kind of maybe you had to raise the ante with making sure your supply cart was good to go, right? Like you could right. probably maybe not let your guard down in those other closer towns, but. You right. knew that you were going to yeah. get there and probably a little less stress, right? Is, is that, is that right. accurate? Yeah. You can kind of let it down a little bit. I was, but I had such a routine from walking out west, you know, uh, just by then, by the time I got to Missouri, 
two-thirds of my walk was complete. The The eastern states are just so small. So it was strange because, you know, like Colorado was over 500 miles long. Kansas was over 500 miles long. Uh, Nevada was 450-something miles, I believe. And Utah was 400 miles. And then all of a sudden, I get to Missouri, it's 200-something miles. And then I get to Illinois, it's 141 miles. I cut the corner of... Uh, Indiana was only 31 miles, so I, I went through that town in uh, like a day and a half, and then next thing I know, or that state, next thing I know, I'm in Kentucky, <laughs> and then, and now I'm crossing uh, giant rivers, and uh, some of these bridges are very narrow, and they're not really pedestrian friendly, and uh, sure. pretty wow. pretty bizarre, but yeah, uh, sure yeah next thing I know, I'm like, quite a bit. oh yeah, next thing I know, I'm just blowing through states, like, oh wow, Kentucky's only 100, mi- 100 miles, and then Tennessee is 141, and then 90 miles through Alabama, and yeah, so it was... It was, it was like, woo. So it was looking like I was going to finish the walk around December 21st. And I was like, well, let me slow down and pull back a little bit and, uh, and, and just drag it out until the 31st of December. I think New Year's Eve and a fresh new year would be a great finish to this, you know? So I kind of dialed it back a little bit and, uh, I, I was running to more people I knew. Um, I had a veteran come out on Christmas day and walk with me all day long, um, on Christmas day. I mean, he was, he, he wasn't feeling it. He, w- he was lonely. He's like, hey, he was in Georgia. He's like, I'm driving out to South Carolina. I'm going to meet you. I'll walk with you so you don't have to be alone on Christmas. And I was like, wow. And he drove five hours, walked with me all day. Then he went back to his car, hitchhiked back to his car, then drove five hours back to Georgia. Wow. On Christmas. And That's like, wow. dedication right there. You, you could have called up a Hawaiian Santa Claus, too, for Christmas Day there, the guy that you were talking about earlier. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I had so many... It's amazing how so many people helped me along the way. You know, a lot of those folks, this just really helped me be successful. They have, I had a buddy in uh, uh, Florence, South Carolina, and he helped me on Christmas Eve. My cart broke down. I came off a sidewalk and my axle, not my axle, but the, the support rod that holds the tire just snapped in half. And it's, it's Christmas Eve. I'm like, what do I do? You know, like everything's closed. And right, uh, sure. I kind of panicked because I, I can't even walk because I'm in the middle of a city. And... Uh, and I wasn't in the best of neighborhoods, and it's Christmas Eve, and I have to—I can't push the cart. I have to pull it. I have to drag it by my hand on three wheels, and it's loaded down with all my gear, camping uh, gear, food, water. That's, that's no picnic much that to was say in the my least, cart. right? Oh no, you know my sleeping bag and all that stuff, and uh, that's pretty much what, what was in my cart: my, my kerosene cooker, you know, my utensils, uh, little trinkets that people give me along the way. But uh, yeah, this um, I reached out to my girlfriend. I said, "Hey, I need a I need a Christmas miracle. I need some help." And she got on the internet. And next thing I know, I mean, within an hour, this veteran shows up uh, wearing a wearing a Christmas suit. He was on his way to a Christmas party, but he <laughs> dropped everything. He dropped everything, and to the dismay of his wife, and he said his whole family is going to be mad at him. But he he show, he dropped everything he was doing and wow, headed out there and awesome. helped me out. He said, "I just need to know what you need." I said, "Could you just..." Find somebody to store this cart. Bring me a backpack. I want to keep walking. I don't want to stop. I'm like 60 miles from finishing my walk. <laughs> I'm 60 miles from Myrtle Beach. I'm, I'll be there in a few days. I just want to keep going. And so uh, he gave me. He brought me a backpack and he took my cart. And then uh, then the cart company found out, and they literally called me on Christmas morning at like three in the morning, and said, "Hey, we're rushing you out new tires, all new sets of tires." And I was like, "Really?" And they nice. rushed the, they, yeah. And so I, they said, those tires will get to you in about three days. And by then I was in Conroy or Conway, South Carolina. So I told my buddy, cause I was kind of bummed out. Cause I was like, I pushed this cart across the country. I didn't, I want to kind of finish with the cart. 
you know, so I was walking with a backpack and it was great. And I had the guitar strapped across the front of me. And I'm now I'm walking through these black water swamps, you know, and, uh, Starting and I'm in the low hairy. country. <laughs> yeah. And it's getting a little humid. And I'm like, Oh, it's a little humid for December. You know, I'm sweating. And now I got this big backpack and, and, uh, but he brought my card out to me. And then when he brought my card out to me, he decided to walk with me the whole rest of the way. So he walked the final 10 miles with me all the way to the beach. And, uh, not only that, he contacted his contacts and, and between him and my girlfriend, like the Patriot Guard Riders came out, and it was this huge, big, giant finish. Um, it, they blocked the roads, and the, they, all the media was there. It was insane. And I didn't plan none of this. I just, well, I'll just finish it, and whatever happens, happens, and I'll just go home. <laughs> and, and the people that's were it, there you know? for you. But, that's, man, they, boy, they, they came great. out in droves. The police department, everybody. I mean, they shut the city down, and it was insane. It was, it was, it was wild. And for the first time on my walk, it was the very last mile. I got to walk in the middle of the road with all the roads blocked and the Patriot Riders and the police and everybody. And I was like, you don't have to do that. You know, I, I, there's sidewalks here. I like this. There's sidewalks. <laughs> you know, I can. Right. I'm, no, I'm used like, to no. that, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm set. There's sidewalks. Like, nope. We're blocking the entire street off. You're walking straight to the ocean. And uh, oh, sure enough. Oh, man. That ocean air must have smelled so great. That whole, <clears throat> oh, man. When, that whole experience. I oh. mean. Gosh, Van! I think yeah. you did it. You you did a great job of really explaining and and kind of letting our listeners enjoy this this walk with you. I mean, you really kind of put us in in you know the whole atmosphere of it and the feel of it. You really captured that with your explanation of it. I think that's oh, awesome. Gosh, yeah, it, it's a it was an amazing adventure, and I'm I'm glad I did it. Uh, people are like, you going to do it again? I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm, I don't think my girlfriend will deal with me being gone another 10 months like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being gone to Iraq or something. Yeah, I'm gone for uh, almost a year. But, sure. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, but that's, that's an amazing thing. The, just the amount of people it helped. I never, I never, you know, I ran into a Navajo Indian out in Utah. Um, and, and, you know, it, this just little things, you know, and he, and he, he sat with me and he made me an arrow and, um, uh, and then they explained that, uh, that that somebody else had went up in front of me, and I didn't know this, and buried a feather. I guess they say that's like a luck thing, like to wish you well on your journey. And it's like they get it. They kind of, you know, some people don't get it, what I'm doing, but some people do. They, like, get it. They're like, this is like a, you know, like a spiritual journey you're on, you know. And somebody went ahead of me and buried a feather in the ground it, 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 along my path. And, uh, you know, for, for like a well wishes kind of thing. And I didn't know that. That, that was stunning to me. You know, and this, this man sat and hand made me an arrow. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, I did everything like as quickly as I could. Found a box to mail at home because I didn't want it to get ruined. You know, I didn't want it to get rained on. I didn't want it to get warped or ruined or anything. And, you know, he put beads on it and it, like all handmade, just like they were made in the old days, you know. And just those little things. Uh, so when cool. I see it, it reminds me of those stories and the people I met. And, you know, I took pictures with all these people and. So it's it's kind of nice to talk to you today and like relive some of that because I haven't thought about it in a little while and it's like wow this it was a uh, 2019 was definitely a definitely great year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, thank you so much for sharing this. Great oh yeah, experience absolutely. With us, man. Now, absolutely. Uh, let, let's finish up with uh, telling the people, you know, what, what's up next for Van here? What what do you got going on? What's the future? Well, look when like? I when I when I came off the walk uh, on the New Year's Eve and I, I came back home. I was, I mean, that was, I thought things would kind of slow down. Well, one thing, um, 
I literally drove my car to California and parked it at, literally in Michael Leahy's driveway, and he watched it for me for the whole time I was gone. Well, when I got back, I had to fly out to California, get my car, and drive it back. And uh, and then it got real busy, so I was doing all these like little speaking engagements kind of locally, and people were inviting me out to all these these events to kind of talk about what I did. And then one day in March, everything came to a screeching halt. It just sure. bam. And so... I had a lot of things that were, I mean, I had bookings um, and things that people invited me to. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, if it's, if it's going to help veterans, you know, I did, you know, 22 K's. I was invited to these 22 K walks and all these things were planned, but everything literally got canceled. So, um, it just wiped my whole calendar clean. Some things got rescheduled and, you know, I ended up doing the Intel Valhalla 22 K in Mississippi was supposed to spend in March. And then it got moved to June, which was incredibly humid and and then i got in some of these events coming now that were pushed off are coming up i got a trip out to uh, zion utah with um and this is an amazing story i don't know how much time i have but i met a i met a lady in utah or no i'm sorry nevada on the side of the road and she said hey about a about almost a year ago there was a young lady who's a veteran who bicycled across america and she put me in touch with her to come find out this young lady's also from Nashville, Tennessee. She's a combat veteran herself. And uh, she started it, but she bicycled across uh, the country. She was unfortunately ran off the road by a vehicle and, uh, and she got injured pretty bad. And she had to put a walk, her bicycle right on hold. She recovered and she finished it. And, but she bicycled along almost the same route I did on Highway 50, especially out west. Well, she, uh, she, has a, she has a nonprofit she's starting up called Waypoint Vets. And what she does is she sends veterans on these hiking trips and stuff. Uh, and her first one's coming up. It was supposed to happen in June. She asked me to go on it and kind of, you know, talk to the veterans and stuff like that. So I'm going, I'm doing that in October out in Zion National Park. It's their first trip that they're doing. And then I'm doing a 22K with uh, Sean Laurie, who's out in Florence, South Carolina. He's the uh, guy that helped me out on Christmas Eve. Um uh, he, he asked me to come out and do a 22 K with him, And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna go out there and walk, uh, do a 22 K with him. And, uh, that's in, I believe September. And, uh, I'm about to take off in about two days. I'm driving out to Seattle to see my kids. I haven't seen them in, in a while. And then my father lives in New York, um, in Syracuse. And then oh, yeah. so I'm nope. see my, not too far yeah. from me, about two hours right. down the it, road. Yeah. And I'm all, I know all about Western New York. I was actually stationed there for three years. Fort drum. Um, no, 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 no. I was I was in Olean, Cattaraugus oh, County. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, I was I was there as a recruiter for three years. <laughs> All my time as infantryman, and they nailed me for recruiting. So I did recruiting just south of Buffalo down there. So uh, yeah, I was in the Buffalo general area there for three years and uh, worked in Allegheny County, Cattaraugus County. Uh, um, stationed there for a while. My brother and father live in uh, New York. And uh, so I'll go see them this in the next coming weeks. And hopefully they'll open the border to Canada because my sister lives just across the border in Canada. And so, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Hope, yeah. I hope that happens here soon for everyone. Yeah, yeah. that's. They're see, supposed to open the border July 21st. And yeah, they pushed it to August 21st. So maybe I'll catch it. Maybe I won't. But it's so, going to be hard traveling with all this so, going on. So some some great family time ahead mm-hmm. and some more veteran cause work. Right. Yes. Pretty much. It would. Absolutely. That's like yeah. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. That's what's coming. Some more veteran work, and uh, I'm still on the uh, board here. On my, uh, I do a lot of volunteering. Uh, Tennessee's called the Volunteer State. 
And so, uh, and it earns we its do a name lot of volunteering very, around very here. well. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. We, we do a lot of volunteering around here. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I'll be doing. I'm trying awesome. to get my hands on whatever I can get into. We can't wait to meet you in person, Van. I mean, I knew it was going to be a great time here with you today and you definitely did not disappoint. Thank you so much for <laughs> taking the time out of your day here to, to spend time with us and our listeners. Oh yeah, thank you. absolutely. And I really appreciate it. I mean, what you guys do with the concerts and everything, I would love to get out and, something and see one of those shows sometime and, uh, and, and just, it's, it's a great networking opportunity. You know, you go out there and you meet other veterans, you never know, you know, who you're going to impact or what life you're going to change. And you just, you just never know. You know? Ab- so absolutely. Um, this, this is a home for veterans, you know, American warrior festival. It's all about our veteran yeah. family, our current troops and in the community yeah. as a whole that supports everything right. we do. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's our home and our way to kind of extend the uh, camaraderie between us all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's great stuff. I, I love it. So, Van, uh, let's tell people, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, people want to, you know, have you go to a speaking engagement or get to talk about your story. How do they find you? Well, I'm on I'm on Facebook, uh, just Van Booth, or I have a Walking for Life page, uh, just Walking for Life. And uh, I'm also, you know, I've, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and all that good stuff, pretty much those socials. So I'm on there, just Van Booth. All right. Yeah, well, and if anyone needs to get a hold of Van and has any problems with that, they can contact us and we'll make sure we, we get you directed over here to Van. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I tell you what, brother, why don't you enjoy the, the rest of your day and uh, and we'll be in touch and uh, hopefully get absolutely. a chance to uh, hang out here very soon. Oh, yeah. I'll have to make it a point to come see you when I get out to California again. It won't be long. <laughs> I like to travel. I like to keep moving. One awesome. foot in front of the other, right? <laughs> yep, that's, that's right. There you go. Nice work. Gotta man. keep moving. There you keep go. moving. And you can Absolutely find me. Not. I mean, the majority of the time I'll be in New York and California. And if okay. I'm not there, I'll be in Texas or Tennessee or wherever the oh, American yeah. Warrior takes us. So Nice. Well, hopefully hopefully soon, maybe in 2021 or something, maybe. Uh, I'm with you, brother. Of, I'm with you. We'll that. see. Let's, let's get opened yeah. up and start playing some music here as soon as we can. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was our good friend Van Booth with Walking for Life. The American Warrior Festival podcast brought to you by Oliver's Candies, the creator of the American Warrior Festival candy bar. Oliver's Candies is proud to offer you the largest selection of award-winning chocolates made in Western New York. Visit them online at oliverscandies.com.
That last group of songs was Free Bleeder with Minutes Seem Like Minutes and Weapon X with Viking Chug. All hail Viking Chug. Please welcome my Marine Corps brother and Veterans Outreach Program Specialist at the Rochester Vet Center, Sean Crandall. Sean, how's it going, man? Hey, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. So, uh... Now, Sean and I, we met each other uh, at the American Warrior Festival at the Ridge in uh, 2017. I believe that was the year. And uh, Sean was kind enough to bring the big mobile uh, VA unit there to help out veterans with their, their benefits. So, uh, Sean, why don't we tell people a little bit about your, your military background and, and you know how you got started in veteran causes and all that good stuff. Okay. Well, uh, I joined the Marine Corps in January of 1992, uh, did four years, got out, thought grass was greener on the other side, then I decided to go back in. Um, I was a comp center operator for four years, and then a helicopter crew chief on the CH-46 Echoes for uh, six years after that, until I got broken, and then uh, I got out, and I've always had a passion for veterans, um, because I am one, and I relate to them best. Uh and so I got out. I had a troubled uh, time getting out. I had a hard time readjusting, went to college, wasn't for me. Then I started at the VA um, and finished my degree. I uh, started in housekeeping and I've worked my way to where I am now um, as an outreach person for the Rochester Vet Center. I drive a 40-foot mobile vehicle um, and I outreach to veterans and let them know about the VA, the Vet Center, how to get connected, making sure they're getting taken care of and uh, you know, helping them out of any way I can. And, and Sean, you know, Sean does a, a great job of this. You know, he's just one of those those guys that, you know, a veteran really needs some help. He's got that in, that inviting smile and that demeanor. And, uh, you know, you, you've been there, brother, so you know they trust in you. And um, I've seen a few veterans come out of that truck with, you know, smiles on their faces and, you know, some hope with uh, what's going to go on with their benefits. And you could tell that some of the frustration goes away that they might have. You know, so uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about that when, you know, when a vet comes in and. Well, typically my job is very unique um, in the sense that I get to talk to people just as they just where they are and how they are and where they come. Um, So it's pretty cool to see, you know, veterans typically have one or two outlooks at the VA. One, they hate the VA or two, that they love the VA. Um, so you get them both and you never know what you're going to get when they come in. Um, I particularly like the ones that are, that are disgruntled and don't like the VA and what the VA has to do because 
you know, they've had a bad experience. And usually that experience is due to the fact that, you know, they didn't know the system or they didn't know who to talk to and they didn't talk to the right person. And my job is so much fun when I can take one of those people and say, hey, you, you know, what's going on? You can't help me. The VA sucks. I said, give me a shot. And uh, I give them a chance to go ahead and say, hey, look, you know, uh, let me help you with this. And they give me a chance and I'm able to turn it around and get them the help that they needed or wanted and uh, change their outlook on the whole thing. Uh, that's that's the biggest reward to me. And it, and it has to feel special when you see them kind of let their guard down a little bit. All right. Like, uh, you know, they went in there and they kind of had a, a preconceived idea of the VA and you're able to kind of reverse that a little bit or at least get them thinking about it and saying that, hey, there might be something here for me. Let, let me keep following the process. Yeah. Give them a little hope, a little hope that, you know, somebody might be able to help them and might take care of them. Um, you know, and and that, that goes a long way with veterans, especially ones that have had bad experiences. Very true. Very true. Now, Sean, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, vets bring up to you or, or what kind of things can they bring up to you? Man, vets can come to me with anything. Um, I, I am not the best person at everything, but I know a little bit about everything. I'm kind of like a jack of all trades. Um, I may not know the answer, but if I don't, I know somebody who does. I'm very connected with the Veterans Benefits Administration. I'm connected with uh, the VA and also, you know, I work for the Vet Center. So I'm, I'm connected with all the counseling that we do there. Yeah. So, so you're going to either be able to help them right away or connect them to the people that are. And, and Sean has done this for me a few times already with uh, veterans I brought to him. And, and you know, you're, you're always very reachable, brother. And I, and I appreciate that. You've been a, a great asset to the veteran community here. And everyone knows Sean, you know, you say, you know, Sean Crandall. I mean, eight out of 10 veterans, it seems, know who Sean is and what he's doing. So that means you're getting out there and and you guys will, will, I mean, first off, how you fit that truck in half the places where you you bring it is <laughs> like right there, your driving skills, man, and how you maneuver that big ass vehicle is impressive in its own right. Well, thanks. It is a pain in the ass sometimes, I tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it really is. But, you know, it's it's pretty good. It's 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 a uh, it, it takes some getting used to, that's for sure. Now, what is what are some of the maybe the craziest places you've tried to had had to fit that vehicle, or maybe some of the more challenging stories of of finding out where you were going to park? I just think that's kind of an interesting. <clears throat> well, I, the craziest thing was when I went into a hotel one night, and, and the vehicle fits in five spaces. Okay, I packed oh, it, wow. parked it in the yep, I parked it in the back of a parking lot, took up the five spaces, and. I was in the very back and didn't know that the hotel was going to get jam-packed. I came out the next morning. There was a car behind me on the grass and a car in front of me in the spot in front of me. And I had to maneuver it out of there. And it took me about a 37-point turn to get it out of there. I had like six <laughs> inches. It was pretty crazy. Um, you know, I've, I've taken it to New York City. That's 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 a fun feat. Um, yeah, that doesn't sound fun <laughs> at all. I mean, that no, sounds no, like no. a nightmare scenario. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I was I was squeezing cheeks the whole time, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you probably need a towel to dry off after a park job like that, man. Yeah, yeah. New York City's fun. Um, you know, it's usually pretty good. The overpasses you got to watch, but um, the the real trick is when you get to the narrow narrow uh, roadways. My vehicle is ten feet wide, and I think the it's eleven feet for the 
a lane in the road, and when they go to back down and have construction, it gets kind of hairy sometimes. Yeah, I mean, now, do you guys have to get any special licensing to drive those vehicles? I mean, are they past a certain size? I mean, nope. The, believe it or not, um, it doesn't have air brakes, and it is one tenth of an inch too. Sh- I mean, shorter than you need for a CDL. So I just have a regular driver's license. Nice. That's really cool. And, and now, you know, there, there's vet centers across the country, right, Sean? I mean, like, yep, there's, there's, yeah. There's 300 of them across the nation. Um, there's 80 vet center, um, mobile vet centers across the nation. Um, and, and we reach out everywhere. So, you know, within an hour and a half, two hours of anywhere, there's a vet center. And see, now, Sean, I mean, the mission statement behind the vet center is probably uh, it is to be that bridge from a, um, you know, a veteran who just got out and he's he or she's trying to navigate the waters of getting their VA benefits. Is that is that pretty safe to say? And you're kind no. of like, oh, really? No, no. What we do at the vet center is we provide counseling services for all war zone veterans, spouses, their families, all military sexual trauma cases and bereavement counseling for those that have lost a loved one in the service. So basically, if it's got counseling in it, we do it. My job is unique to where I go out and I find the veterans and I try and get them connected. So I go out and find those war zone veterans that, you know, are having a hard time after they're getting out. And it's readjustment counseling service. So it's readjusting back to the civilian life. And, and that's what we do. Um, we see a lot of uh, people that may or may not have a problem knowing if someone knew that they were getting help. Um, we're very secure and very private. Um, we are part of the VA, um, but we're like the Marine Corps. We're the redheaded stepchildren. <laughs> I say that jokingly. Nice. Um, no, we're, we're an offshoot of the VA. Uh, we can see the VA records to help a veteran, but the VA cannot see ours. We have a completely separate system um, just to help the veterans. Um, so that's what we do. Now, we were founded in 1979, I believe, um, when the Vietnam veterans came back and they were having a hard time with the VA and this thing that they call PTSD or shell shock, as it was the time before then. And uh, the Vietnam veterans weren't getting help. And they said, well, we need a safe place where we can go and get counseling for this thing called PTSD. And so Congress then said, hey, look, we're going to give you three years, um, one year to ramp up the program, one year to cure PTSD, and one year to shut down. And, uh, you know, 40-something years later, uh, we're, we're going strong. <laughs> um, yeah, right. You know, we're treating a lot of veterans. Really no expiration date on what you guys are doing. No, no. You and know. Congress keeps, you know, give funding us. So, you know, we're, we're good. Um, you know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sean. We got 300 vet centers and, and we're growing them more because the need is need is great out there. You know, guys are coming back every day from overseas and, you know, they need to talk to somebody. And if, if they do, we're here and uh, they need to know that, you know, it's a safe place where our records are sealed. Um, nobody talks to any. Nobody gets to see our records unless one of three things happens. One, you know, you're a threat to yourself or others. And obviously we got to we got to help you. Um to a judge, a federal judge says, we need in your records, and then, you know, you're going to sign a release of information so you know that your records went out to the judge, or if you sign a release of information, then we'll release your records to whoever you say. But other than that, your records are sealed. So it, veterans can come in and really feel, you know, comfort that their records are going to stay 
you know, where they, they should are, and behind the scenes. Yeah. Correct. And especially like in New York state with the safe act and the reporting and all this other stuff, right. we, we're a federal agency. We don't have to follow those guidelines, uh, you know, to release records to the state like they like some of the states want because that's, that's we are fed- so it's very very secure we see a lot of high profile people some you know some people that you wouldn't think but you know they're they're people too you, you know, know we see cops we see secret service agents we see you know federal officials and stuff like that so we're, we're here to help everybody all veterans and it doesn't matter what your discharge type is you know, we see people that have honorables. We see people that have dishonorable discharges. We see everybody. If oh, you're really? a war zone, if yep, if you are a war zone veteran, um, or you suffer from military sexual trauma, or you know bereavement counseling for those that have lost a loved one in the service, we will see you. All we need to see is your DD two fourteen, and you're in. That's great. I mean, that's awesome work you guys are doing. Now, see, Sean, that's a testament to all the great things you do, because. I can think of any veteran-related uh, situation, and you're a great place to start. So you've done so many things or led us to people that can help with so many different things that I guess the counseling part of what you guys do, which I knew was part of the whole thing, but that is the bread and butter. That's the primary focus of what you guys do is yep, those that, counseling services. That is the primary mission of the Vet Center. Um, outreach is the secondary mission, and, and, and I'm the outreach person for our Vet Center. Like I said, there's 300 vet centers and there's 300 of me out in the, out there somewhere. Um, and, and we're just trying to connect veterans and, and help them. Um, one thing I forgot to mention about the vet center is the vet center opened as a peer to peer, which means the Vietnam veterans were treating other Vietnam veterans. And by design, over half of our staff at every vet center, um, it's supposed to be half. It's usually more than half are veterans. Um, so it's veterans helping veterans. It's, it's really it's really unique. It, that's a great way to go about it, too, because the comfort level when you walk in and talk to another veteran, especially the way you yeah. put it, Sean. You know, if you speak the language, you got to speak the language and understand them. And if you can understand them and reach them, then you're going to have a, a better outcome than somebody that doesn't. Now, there are like I said, we're half and half. The counselors that we do have are so experienced. You know, they've come from other places like the VA or you know, they've done it for so long that they understand the language. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. So. So now what kind of events will you guys attend? I mean, you know, how, how do you decide on taking on a new event and bringing the truck down? Um, you know, I guess we could start there and then we could talk about how we've worked together over the years. So that that's that's my job. Um, I have a great director um, and he you know, I started off and I was the first person to have the mobile vet center in Rochester. It's a brand new vehicle to me and to the vet center. And uh, basically what I do is I go out and I meet people where they are. Uh, where do veterans hang out? Well, shoot, they hang out at Lowe's, the Home Depot, Walmart. You know, they're, they're everywhere. Veterans are everywhere. You don't you can't just tell a veteran by looking at them. So you go out and find them where they are. Now, I go out and do events also. I'm at the Erie County Fair. I'm at the New York State Fair, some of my biggest events, um, the American Warrior Festival, uh, all kinds of festivals and events where, you know, people are. And, you know, veterans go where everybody else goes. <laughs> you know, it's not right. just gun shows and and uh, and, and shooting ranges. I, I do go to those places, too. I mean, a great place to 
you know, meet veterans. They love guns and they love, you know, beer. I try to stay out of the beer joints. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I can go pretty much, I can go anywhere where veterans may congregate within reason. Yeah, and see, get them where they are. And then now, once you set up, will will they kind of walk up on their own? I mean, I'm sure this, oh, yeah. there's a lot of different things going on there. So I set up and I, 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 I have the hands-off approach. I don't approach veterans. I'm just there. I'm out there. I'm sitting out there. And if somebody comes up and wants to shoot the breeze, absolutely, let's talk. Um, I'm not there to sell anything. I'm not there to tell them how to do something or, you know, I, I'll initially, you know, I'll initiate an engagement and say, hello, I'm not rude, but you know, it, it's up to veteran to ha that has questions and I'll answer any question for anybody. Um, you know, the veterans are awesome and you know, they usually like to talk to other veterans and Hey, what are you doing here? Hey, I'm doing this. And they'll be like, Oh, that's cool. And then we'll just strike up a conversation. And if it gets to benefits, it gets to benefits. If it gets to counseling, it gets to counseling. If it's, just a casual conversation, and then that's what it is. And all of those things are okay. You're just really absolutely. You're there to outreach and to talk to veterans and just get in front of them, and and they'll feel more comfortable too if they're not getting that that pressure of someone kind of pushing it on them. Yeah, you, you have to have the, a no pressure approach because you know, look, who's going to talk to you and, and really open up if you're pressuring them for information? <laughs> Right. They're automatically going to put the guard up and say, wait a second, I'm not really comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. So now what are uh, the territories that you cover? Your, so your vet center. My vet center covers 12 counties in New York State, but my mobile vet center um, covers half the state of New York. Um, so my coverage without asking for permission to go anywhere is from Interstate 81 West in the state of New York. Um, and then my region is from Maine to the southern border of North Carolina to the edge of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, um, and down that way. Wow. So, so that territory, you just have to get permission. Well, I can call. Yeah. Usually cause there's, there's 17 of our vet center, mobile vet centers in that area. So I have other guys that can go there that may be closer. So if they're not available or, you know, there's a special need that comes up, then they'll call me and say, hey, can you do this? And, you know, I'm, I have bus will travel. So that's my motto. So if, if they need me, I'm there. Now, do you enjoy taking some of the longer trips? The oh, past? yeah, I love okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Now, we do a lot of Vietnam moving walls because, you know, it's, it's a very uh, emotional thing for, for veterans, for the Vietnam veterans to go to the wall. Um, so we, we usually take counselors with us, you know, to help these guys that go to the wall and are feeling some of the things that they used to feel. Right. Yeah. That, that, that makes all the sense in the world right there. And Sean, uh, I know this was a tough loss for us this year when, uh, we had the, the veteran motorcycle run attached to the Rochester American warrior this year. And I saw a picture of the same group that was going to be there and it was bikes as far as the eye could see. Oh, wow. And so what we decided to do there is we didn't even cancel the event page. We changed the date till June of 2021, and we're going to have that same group. So it's going to be nice in Rochester to have that veteran motorcycle run attached to it. And I think that's what we can expect for our event in Rochester every year is being oh, attached awesome. to that group. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Just let me know when and where to be, and I'll be there. 
You always are, brother. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, now, working with all of the other, uh, you know, like the private nonprofit veteran groups around the uh, the state and throughout the country, um, how do you find that? Working with uh, working with them, how you know does that work well with you guys? How does it supplement? Tell us a little bit about that relationship. Well, my my interaction with those groups are are far and wide. Uh, right. I meet so many people, and, and so many people do some such good work. Um, I try to be a conduit to help veterans if if you know I see a need with a, you know, a couple groups and a veteran comes up and can use a, a support group there. They've got a got your six in the Binghamton area. Um, I, I direct them to that. I direct them to, you know, any, any area where a veteran can get help. Um, you know, if they need it, we have a Wayne County, uh, veteran service advisory committee group that meets up here, um, in Wayne County, New York, which helps out veterans a lot. And, you know, it's just based on the need. Sure. You're going to go wherever the help is needed there and focus on that. And uh, so, and I noticed when we can work together and build the relationships, everyone wins. You know, we're all in this together. Helping veterans is the main mission. And I would like to see more of that. And I think we're doing a good job of it, but I would like to see it improve even where the, all the different programs and all the different organizations find a way to work together. And I noticed that throughout the country too, when, when you're able to get these organizations that do different things, that is, that's when it's great. Like, and you see everyone can work off of each other. I know when uh, organizations do similar things, there can be a little bit of that competition. And, you know, I think as long as we always keep the veterans and helping them at the forefront, we're going to be doing our job. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And you do a phenomenal job of introducing us to people. And, uh, we've met a, a couple of very good groups through you. Um, you know, we had a, a mutual friend, Major Bertram, on episode three, I believe he was on, and telling us about RIT. And now you work, you work with that group as well, right? I do. I work with uh, I work with the Veterans Upward Bound for sure. Nice. So, so it even extends into the education and all the, all that good stuff. Oh yeah. So now we we have a bunch of cool things that we're going to be um, moving moving forward with here like uh the concerts will always be the uh the number one thing we do as far as our vehicle to reach veterans but as you know we've talked about this a few times i'd like to get you in as soon as um fans can go back to baseball games i'd like to get you in one of those yankee suites with us buddy i think i'd love to go i think you'd enjoy yourself yeah and uh you know the battlefield destinations that's another thing we're looking to get into uh, like you mentioned earlier we're working on firing range events uh, not only here in in western new york with the firing pin but also in nashville and a few other oh, nice. places yep uh, we got the motorcycle runs going and then we're getting into the fitness boot camps and the workouts so we're going to have a bunch of different kinds of events for you to uh attach to and to you know spend time at so we'll keep you posted. i'm more than happy to go yep and uh you enjoying the podcast so far? I don't know if you got a chance to check anything out yet, but uh, it's we're real happy to have you on today and on episode six here. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, I love. I'm I'm loving it. It's a great way for us, Sean, to reach to reach all the people while we're while we're kind of down here with events a little bit. It's been a way for us to stay proactive and to get the word out and 
to highlight all the great organizations that we are working with. So, yeah, we've been real happy here at the podcast thus far. That's awesome. Yeah. So I tell you what, I know you got a busy day ahead of you here, so I'm not going to keep you much longer. Let's go ahead and uh, tell the people the best way to get a hold of you. And Don will also put this uh, information on the screen so people know how to get a hold of, of you guys. So why sure. Don't you go the ahead best. And tell us? Okay. The best way to get a hold of the vet center is one eight seven seven War Vets is is the phone number. Um, my cell phone is five eight five three six two three three one seven. You guys can reach me during business hours. Um, and, and that's the best way to get a hold of me um, for events or if you just want to shoot the breeze. Awesome. And I, and I encourage any veteran that really would like to talk or, or just be around all the veteran causes and, and different things we have going on around here. Sean's a great resource. He's going to be a friendly face. He's not going to put any pressure. So I, I highly encourage you explore that option. So I, I tell you what, brother, I, I always appreciate our time together. Uh, and now I know we, we've been talking about it a while. We have to try to pin down some time to go up to the cabins like we talked about it. Absolutely. I, th- I think we are. We just have to like pick a, a time on the calendar and let it go, right? Let it roll. I'm with you. All right. So, all right, friends, that's Sean Crandall. with the. He's a Veterans Outreach Program Specialist at the Rochester Vet Center. You take care, Sean. Hey, thanks, Dan. All right. Here's Weapon X again with these wounds.
what an interesting episode. It was awesome hearing about Van's story and Sean's contribution to the veteran community. As always, we appreciate you spending your time with us. We've decided to release new episodes bi-weekly going forward, so you'll be hearing from us soon. In closing, we'd like to thank our brand new patrons, Jen Hicksonbaugh, Ginger Overall, and Joel Patterson. We really appreciate the support. Until next time, friends, take care. What's going on, everybody? Don T. Penny here. Just wanted to take a minute to thank our fellow Patreon supporters and let you know that if you wanted to become a fellow supporter of our podcast, all you got to do is click on the link below that is in your show notes. Or if you're listening to this slash watching watching this on YouTube, all you got to do is go to the video description. We will have a link to the Patreon page right there in that description as well. And that will take you to the homepage where you can see the sixth different options for our patreon program feel free to browse through it guys click on them see which one best suits you and any support any help that you guys would offer us is much appreciated it helps us put more content out for you and push this podcast uh, to that next level once again guys thank you for all your support we're going to continue to do our job you guys have a great rest of your day we're out The American Warrior Festival podcast is brought to you by the Red Osier Landmark Restaurant, Oliver's Candies, Smoking Eagle Barbecue and Brew, The Firing Pit, Orcon Industries, Ken Barrett Chevrolet Cadillac, TF Browns, One LLP, Batavia Legal Printing, Gun Track App, and Amerihome Healthcare. This is Candy. You're listening to the American Warrior Festival. Yeah.